Today is Wednesday, October the 25th, 2023. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key, and do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how big tech companies are using your personal data? We have been bringing computer industry news, hardware and software reviews, guest interviews, and news of user group meetings for the past 40 years. The Personal Computer Show is a three-time winner of the prestigious National Computer Press Awards. The Personal Computer Show had for many years been a call-in talk show. The pandemic-causing studio lockdown has altered our format. The listener call-in format enabled us to know what technology issues were on the mind of the listeners. Our only advocacies are consumerism and the First Amendment. I welcome you, the listeners, to provide feedback as to what you want to hear. Address your suggestions to hank at pcradioshow.org. Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network. That's www.prn.live, that's L-I-V-E, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. You can leave us a message with your question or comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. A joint venture between Comcast and Charter Communications. Zumo is a brand name for a joint venture between Comcast Corporation and Charter Communications, and it is a free ad-supported streaming TV service with the acronym FAST, F-A-S-T, that offers a variety of streaming content. Zumo was acquired by Comcast in 2020 and is now being used as the brand name for the joint venture. The joint venture aims to develop and offer streaming devices, content, and a platform for partners to reach audiences at scale. Zumo operates as a free global streaming service available through the joint venture's products and third-party devices. Zumo Play, the streaming service offered by Zumo, is available on various platforms, including Xfinity, X1, Charter Spectrum, and other streaming devices. It provides access to a wide range of channels and content, including entertainment, lifestyle, pop culture, science, and technology, music, and fashion. Charter is currently conducting field trials of Zumo products that stem from its national streaming joint venture with Comcast. The Zumo branding is being used for various products such as Zumo Play, the original Zumo Fast platform, Zumo Streambox, which is Comcast's Flex 4K set-top boxes, and Zumo TV, Comcast line of X-Class TV smart TVs. Zumo does not control internet and cable set-top functions directly. It is a streaming TV service that offers a variety of streaming content. However, Zumo can be accessed through certain devices such as Zumo TV, Zumo Streambox, and Xfinity Flex, which may have additional features and controls related to internet and cable set-top functions. For example, the Zumo Streambox is comparable to devices like Apple TV or Roku, allowing users to stream live TV through the Spectrum TV or other network apps. It also has voice recognition capabilities. Similarly, Zumo TV is available on various devices, including smart TVs and set-top boxes, 
allowing users to access free streaming content. It's important to note that the specific features and controls related to internet and cable set-top functions may vary depending on the device and service provider. The joint venture between Comcast and Charter was announced in April of 2022. The partnership was formed to develop and launch a next-generation streaming platform on various branded 4K streaming devices and smart TVs. The joint effort was later named Zumo, which has evolved into an entertainment platform that includes TV shows and movies. Under this collaboration, Comcast licensed Flex and X-Class TV, as well as a Zumo streaming service. Zumo offers a free ad-supported streaming TV service, providing a variety of streaming content to users. It is available on platforms such as Xfinity X1, Charter Spectrum, and other streaming devices. Charter Communications is replacing its cable set-top boxes with Zumo streaming devices. This move allows Charter customers to ditch the traditional cable box and opt for a Zumo streaming device instead. The Zumo Streambox, which is a joint venture between Charter Communications and Comcast, serves as Spectrum's primary video device and provides access to live, on-demand, and streaming content. The Zumo Streambox offers an aggregated search across apps and curated content offerings based on the customer's interests and subscriptions. It aims to simplify the streaming experience by bringing together live TV and popular apps in one place. Additionally, the Zumo Streambox includes access to a wide range of video content based on the customer-subscribed services. It is important to note that the Zumo Streambox is not the same as a traditional cable set-top box. It is a streaming device that allows users to access streaming content through apps and services, including Zumo. The Zumo Streambox is being positioned as an alternative to traditional cable boxes, providing customers with more flexibility and options for their entertainment needs. BMW, Mini, and Rolls-Royce are the latest to sync up with Tesla's EV's charging plug. The German automaker is the latest to adopt Tesla's North American charging standard on its future EVs. BMW, famed German automaker and parent company to Mini and Rolls-Royce, announced its intention to adopt Tesla's electric vehicle charging standard for its future EVs in the latest win for Elon Musk's company. BMW said that owners of electric vehicles with a combined charging system that CCS outlet will get access to Tesla's supercharger network in early 2025, most likely through the use of an adapter. BMW will also start producing EVs with Tesla's charging standard built into the vehicle that same year. BMW's current EV lineup includes the iX, i4, and i7, as well as Mini Cooper electric models and the ultra-luxury Rolls-Royce Spectra. All current comes with the CCS plug for DC fast charging. BMW said that EV owners will get access to Tesla's supercharger network in early 2025. BMW joins a long list of other companies that have adopted Tesla's so-called North American Charging Standard, or otherwise known as NACS, which is its acronym. They include Ford, GM, Rivian, 
Volvo, Postar, Nissan, Mercedes-Benz, Jaguar Land Rover, Fisker, Hyundai, and Kia. But not everyone's on board yet. The holdouts include three of the biggest automakers in the world, Volkswagen, Toyota, and Stellantis. Until recently, Tesla's superchargers were exclusive to Tesla owners. In fact, it was one of Tesla's main selling points, consistent, exclusive, and abundant EV charging. But that began to change several years ago when the company started offering access to non-Tesla EVs, first in Europe and then in the United States after the Biden administration said it would be a prerequisite to tap into some of the $7.5 billion for EV charging in the bipartisan infrastructure law. Tesla's supercharger network is widely recognized as superior to many of the third-party EV charging stations, most of which feature CCS plugs and the less utilized CHA demo charging standard. The company says it has 45,000 superchargers worldwide, 12,000 of which are located in the United States. And while other EV charging stations struggle with software glitches and faulty charges, Tesla says its superchargers are nearly perfect in their reliability. The company says that the average uptime of supercharger sites last year amounted to 99.95%, down marginally from 99.6% in 2021. Big Tech's favorite legal shield takes a hit. A Los Angeles judge has ruled that Meta, formerly Facebook, Snap, and TikTok cannot use Section 230 as a legal shield to escape claims. This ruling is significant because Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act has often been used by social media platforms to protect themselves from liability for user-generated content. The judge's decision suggests that these platforms may be held accountable for certain claims and cannot rely on Section 230 as a defense. Similar lawsuits against tobacco and opioid manufacturers have led to bankruptcies and billion-dollar payouts. This comparison highlights the potential impact of legal actions against social media platforms as lawsuits against other industries have resulted in significant financial consequences. A Los Angeles judge has declined to dismiss a series of blockbuster lawsuits against Meta, TikTok, Snap, and Google, arguing that platforms are intentionally designed to addict and fuel mental health disorders in teenagers, increasing the likelihood they will have to potentially face or settle for billions of dollars the product liability claims. In the first order, Advancing litigation raising a novel public nuisance theory from hundreds of government officials and parents of minors, Los Angeles Superior Judge Carolyn Cole last week found that the companies can't wield the Section 230, Big Tech's favorite legal shield, to escape some claims in the case. She noted, the fact that the design features of the platforms and not the specific content viewed by users caused their injuries. Thousands of plaintiffs across the country have sued social media companies, arguing their platforms are essentially defective products that lead to eating disorders, anxiety, and suicide, among other mental health injuries. The lawsuits could lead to multi-billion dollar payouts with similar public nuisance lawsuits from government officials in lawsuits against opioid 
and tobacco manufacturers having resulted in massive settlements. By steering clear of claims centering on the specific content that companies host, they're trying to sidestep potential immunity flowing from Section 230, which has historically afforded tech firms significant legal protection from liability as third-party publishers. Advancing a claim for negligence, Cole found that defendants can't invoke the law to dismiss allegations revolving around allegedly defective design features since they don't concern third-party content. She pointed to a federal appeals court last year undercutting application of Section 230 by concluding that SNAP could be liable for a lawsuit claiming that the company's design of a speedometer function contributed to a fatal crash by encouraging speeding. The features themselves are allegedly operate to addict and harm minor users of the platforms, regardless of the particular third-party content viewed by the minor user. Stated the ruling, which cited TikTok's continuous scrolling feature and the inability to disable autoplay. Other potentially problematic product features include lens and filters, which have allegedly promoted body image issues among teenagers, and a lack of parental controls allegedly designed to encourage minors to create secret accounts to mask their usage. Cole said that Section 230 does not provide immunity when the provider manipulates third-party content in a manner that injures a user. According to the order, a jury will decide whether users' addiction to the platforms were caused by third-party content or the app's design features. Additionally, Cole declined to dismiss allegations that Meta may have fraudulently concealed internal research demonstrating the negative impact Instagram can have on minors' mental health, including data showing that high time spent users are disproportionately young and reports that teenagers attribute Instagram as a source of increased anxiety and depression. Parents argue that they wouldn't have let their children use the platform had they known. Meta is not protected from tort liability for its own failure to warn because these adverse effects that allegedly should have been disclosed results from Meta's own conduct, not from any particular content displayed, wrote Cole, who noted that Meta may have had a duty to warn of potential harms as a creator of features designed to maximize engagement for minors. In the loss for plaintiffs, though, product liability claims were dismissed since such claims are typically reserved for tangible products that are mass-manufactured and marketed. Under the judge's ruling, claims for strict liability, design negligence, and negligent undertaking, among others, were dismissed. Plaintiffs were given the chance to fix the allegations. In a statement, a Google spokesperson said the allegations in these complaints are simply not true, he added. Protecting kids across our platforms has always been core to our work. In collaboration with child development specialists, we have built age-appropriate experiences for kids and families on YouTube and provide parents with robust controls. Snap declined to comment. Meta and Snap didn't respond to requests for comment. Plaintiff's attorney, Brian Panish, said in a statement that this decision is an important step forward for the thousands of families we represent whose children have been permanently afflicted with debilitating mental health issues thanks to these social media giants. 
Tech companies like Meta, Snap, Inc., ByteDance, and Google are immensely powerful and have little in the way of industry-specific regulation to keep them in check. Section 230 and Social Media Moderation Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act is a law in the United States that provides legal protections to online platforms for the content posted by their users. It states that online platforms cannot be held liable for the content created by third parties. This law has been instrumental in shaping the Internet as we know it today. Section 230 provides two key protections for online platforms. Protection from liability for user-generated content, which online platforms are not held legally responsible for the content posted by their users. This means that if a user posts something defamatory or illegal, the platform itself cannot be sued for that content. Then there's protection for content moderation decisions. Section 230 allows online platforms to moderate and remove content without being held liable for the decisions they make. This protection enables platforms to create and enforce their own content policies, including removing harmful or objectionable content. The debate surrounding Section 230 is complex and involves issues of social media liability, free expression, and content moderation. Both Democrats and Republicans in Congress have expressed concerns about Section 230, but for different reasons. Some argue for more content moderation to prevent harmful or misleading information, while others argue for less moderation to protect free speech. It is important to note that Section 230 does not grant absolute immunity to online platforms. There are exceptions to the protections provided by Section 230 such as intellectual property infringement and federal criminal law violations. Additionally, platforms can still be held liable for their own content or if they are directly involved in creating or developing the content posted by users. The role of social media platforms in content moderation has been a subject of scrutiny and debate, while platforms have implemented various measures to moderate content there are challenges in effectively addressing harmful or objectionable content due to the sheer volume of user-generated content and the limitations of algorithms. Recently, there have been calls for reforming Section 230 to address concerns related to content moderations. Some proposals aim to make platforms more transparent and accountable for their moderation decisions while others seek to limit the scope of Section 230 protections. The Department of Justice has proposed reforms, including adding a statutory definition of good faith for content moderation decisions and clarifying that content removal does not automatically render a platform a publisher for all other content on its service. In conclusion, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act provides legal protections to online platforms for the content posted by their users. It shields platforms from liability for user-generated content and allows them to make content moderation decisions. 
the debate surrounding Section 230 involves considerations of social media liability, free expression, and the challenges of content moderation in the digital age. The debate over Section 230 of the Communication Decency Act has been a contentious and ongoing discussion in the United States. The desire for reform has led to a contested debate on how to best overhaul this law. Good news for Google Maps users, as new features are now available. Might look like two very similar products, but their focus is completely different. Living Proof is a recent Google announcement that clearly highlights the direction Google Maps has embraced. The search giant uses Google Maps as a key part of its strategy to offer more sustainable means of transportation, whereas Waze will retain its focus on traffic navigation. Google Maps already offers fuel-efficient routing, and Google now says that the feature will expand to new regions later this year. Fuel-efficient routes are now offered as alternatives to the fastest route, taking into account details like constant speeds, the number of hills, and traffic conditions to determine if a route allows for significant fuel savings. Google's purpose is to reduce each vehicle's carbon footprint, and according to the company's statistics, the project works like a charm. Since its debut in October of 2021, fuel-efficient routing has helped reduce carbon emissions by 2.4 million metric tons, which according to Google is the equivalent of taking 500,000 cars, or that's a half a million cars, with combustion engines off the road. The fuel-efficient routes debuted two years ago for users in the United States and are now available in Europe, Egypt, and Canada. Google promises to launch it in India and Indonesia by December the 31st. It will also support two-wheelers in these two countries, considering that many people in these regions use a motorcycle. Google isn't stopping here and says it will also provide users with alternative means of transportation when searching for directions. In other words, the company wants to make people use their car less and stick with public transportation to reduce emission. The feature will debut in France with Google Maps to display public transit and walking directions right next to driving routes when searching for driving directions to a destination. The alternative modes of transportation will only show up when travel times are comparable and practical. For example, if traffic conditions for a driving route are so bad that it takes 15 minutes to arrive at the destination, but you can arrive at the address within a 20-minute walk, Google Maps would suggest leaving your car at home for the trip. Public transportation could also be faster, so users in France will see more suggestions in Google Maps. The feature will start rolling out in the near future, which can mean anything from later this year to some point in 2024. Google will also start showing train route suggestions in search when users look for flights. The company says the train is a more sustainable mode of transportation than an airplane. So by displaying routes in search, users would be provided with an easy way to compare travel times, costs, and other factors that would eventually convince them to travel more efficiently. BitLocker encryption can slow down Windows 11 Pro, 
SSDs by up to 45%. According to recent reports, it has been found that the default encrypt setting in Windows 11 Pro, which enables BitLocker encryption, can slow down solid-state drives by up to 45%. This default setting affects the performance of solid-state drives, resulting in reduced speed. The issue specifically relates to the software-based encryption used by BitLocker in Windows 11 Pro. When enabled by default, it can significantly impact the speed of solid-state drives. However, it's important to note that this performance impact may vary depending on the specific hardware and configurations. The default encryption method used in Windows 11 Pro is XTS AES 128 bits. This encryption process can introduce added latency and impact system performance, resulting in reduced solid-state drive speeds. It's worth mentioning that there are potential ways to address this performance issue. Users can consider disabling BitLocker encryption or exploring alternative encryption methods that may have a lesser impact on solid-state drive performance. However, it's recommended to thoroughly research and understand the implications before making any changes to the encryption settings. BitLocker is not available by default in Windows 10 Home Edition. BitLocker is only available in Windows 10 Pro, Enterprise, and Education Editions. In Windows 10 Home, there is a feature called Device Encryption that serves a similar purpose to BitLocker. Device Encryption is designed to protect your data from unauthorized access in case your device is lost or stolen. It encrypts the entire system drive and secondary drives connected to your device. It's important to note that the availability of device encryption may depend on your specific hardware and software configuration. If the option is not available, it may indicate that your device does not support device encryption. PC sales have continued to drop in the third quarter of 2023. With figures down 7.6% year-on-year, new analyst reports have claimed. Despite dwindling shipments, IDC says that PC shipments had increased in the two previous quarters, helping to slow the rate of annual decline. The analysis shows that there's light at the end of the tunnel, though, and the industry could be through the worst meaning you may want to think about upgrading your laptop or PC before competition heats up again and prices begin to rise. PC sales are suffering, but not for much longer. Looking ahead, IDC said the PC industry is on a slow path to recovery as device refresh cycle and end of support for Windows 10 will help drive sales in the second half of 2024 and beyond. HP, however, was the only firm in the top five to see a year-on-year increase, though only by 6.4%. By contrast, Apple saw the largest decline of 23.1%. However, IDC highlights the potential skewing of figures caused by production slowdown and stock challenges caused by the pandemic and its lasting effects. The market intelligence and research firm noted that PC companies can still draw positives from struggling sales. Reduced shipments could buy them time to explore manufacturing and assembly processes 
outside of China, for example. Canalis, another company that tasks itself with monitoring PC sales, noted the impact that releasing new models can have on sales, too. The second quarter of 2023 saw Apple's shipment increase by 50.9% year-on-year thanks to the launch of new 15-inch MacBook Air. IDC reckons that an emerging market will also play a pivotal play in the recovery of PC sales. AIPCs have already gained their interest of many businesses and could prove to be both popular and pricey, which means a win-win for sales figures and revenues in the months and years ahead. Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell. This is Benjamin Rockwell, and now it's time to get down to business. This is where we talk about computers and the workplace, IT, and how it impacts us, and so much more. But I want to take a step back, and I want to really start to process something that has been with us for a few years now, and it is... It is. It's sometimes called cancel culture. It's sometimes called woke culture, and it goes back and forth in a variety of different ways. We're we're told, okay, we have to we have to do this. We have to do that. We have to stop using this brand. We have to stop encouraging this or that. And one of the key things that really sticks in my mind is the age-old statement of an eye for an eye leads to everyone being blind. And there's a few different variations on that. There are times where I have been told, okay, we're no longer going to deal with this particular company because this company supports this or they won't support that. And this is... Over the course of many years, and sometimes the the item comes from some mysterious place up on high, and we never really find out really the meaning behind it other than, oh, we're no longer using this company. We're no longer dealing with this particular item. We're no longer supposed to do this or that. And sometimes we 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 trust where it's coming from. And it's kind of sad because... It really slows us down in a number of areas. IT, information technology, should at its core be about getting the best technology going for our business. IT should be all about making sure that we are able to move the bits and bytes, the pieces of information throughout our companies. And we need to do that utilizing the best resources all the way around. And those best resources may support causes that we're not happy with. Those different things that move along throughout our lives seem to impact in in various ways. All right. We we, we look to, and I'm only going to pick on one. I'm going to pick on the idea that everybody should just abandon Budweiser because of whatever it is that happened with Budweiser. I'm not even going to get into the politics, left or right, in regards to this. All I'm going to talk about is 
are we hurting ourselves when we allow these things to become pervasive throughout all our company? When every single decision is not made for the betterment of the company, every single decision is not made based on this is the ideal product for us. This is the product that is going to move us to the next level. This is what's going to make us even better against our competitors. But instead, it's made through the lens of somebody's personal politics. Do I have anything like that going right now? No, but I have seen this in the past. And I have seen companies which have done bad things in the IT realm, in the customer service realm, directly impacting us. And I'm not talking about those either. I'm saying we need to all stop moving on the whims of somebody who isn't thinking about the best for our IT, the best for our technology, the best for moving us forward. We need to depersonalize any of the decisions that our companies are making. You and I may not have that choice. You and I may not be involved with this, but we also need to make sure that when we are making decisions with each other, for each other, making all of these different moves throughout that we are acting in the best interest of technology that will make us better. What goes through your mind whenever you hear, okay, we're no longer going to use this vendor? Well, what did they do? Why did they do this? Are they no longer the best for our company? Well, they may still be the best. I will tell you, whether we like it or not, everybody has an opinion in regards to how they should support this particular political, personal, whatever it is, item out there. We all have our own personal politics, our own different approach to how our country should be better. But that should not impact how we determine what we're going to do in the workplace. We need to treat every decision that we make for IT, for the company, for our business, we need to treat it as the best thing for our company. No more of this. We're doing this because we want to make a political stance. We want to do this because we feel that it's best that we support this particular ideology, even though it has nothing to do with our business, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with our profits, even though it has nothing to do with anything other than somebody's personal opinion. Because if we do that, we're going to make ourselves all just a little bit crazier. Let's let business be the best business it can. This is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. How safe are lithium batteries? There have been several incidents in New York City where lithium ion batteries have caused fires. In 2022, 
the New York City Fire Department responded to more than 200 e-scooter and e-bike fires, which resulted in six fatalities. In the first month of 2023 alone, there were 1,563 structural fires in the city, and 15 of them are being probed as lithium-ion battery-related, with one reported death and 25 injured. These incidents highlight the potential dangers of lithium-ion batteries and underscore the importance of proper handling and disposal. Lithium-ion batteries are generally safe and unlikely to fail, but only so long as there are no defects and the batteries are not damaged or mistreated. The more batteries that surround us, the more incidents we will see. It's crucial to handle these batteries with care to prevent such incidents. Lithium batteries, specifically lithium-ion batteries, are widely used in various applications, including portable electronics and electric vehicles, that's EVs, due to their high energy density, long cycle life, and relatively low cost. However, it is important to note that there are safety concerns associated with lithium-ion batteries and some of the key points to consider. Lithium-ion batteries can be prone to overheating and catching fire, especially if they are damaged, improperly handled, or exposed to extreme conditions. The liquid electrolyte in these batteries, which consists of lithium salts and organic solvents, is highly flammable and can ignite when exposed to oxygen. It's worth noting that safety features are incorporated into lithium-ion batteries to mitigate these risks, but thermal runaway and overheating issues can still occur. Over time, lithium-ion batteries tend to decline in performance, leading to decreased capacity and reduced overall performance. This decrease in performance can be observed as the battery ages and can result in need for battery replacements, which can be expensive. Lithium-ion batteries may also experience reduced performance in cold weather conditions. Despite these concerns, significant advancements have been made in lithium-ion battery technology to improve safety features and overall reliability. Researchers and manufacturers have been working on developing safer battery chemistries and designs to mitigate the risk associated with lithium-ion batteries. As an alternative to lithium-ion there is lithium-iron battery. Lithium-iron batteries, also known as lithium-iron phosphate, that's uh, with the chemical notation of LiFePO4 batteries, are an alternative to lithium-ion batteries. And some of the key differences and advantages of lithium-iron batteries as compared to lithium-ion batteries are that lithium-ion batteries are generally considered safer than lithium-ion batteries as they are less prone to overheating and catching fire. This is due to the different chemical composition and thermal stability of lithium-ion batteries. Lithium-ion batteries typically have a higher energy density compared to lithium-ion batteries, meaning they can store more energy in a given volume or weight. This higher energy density allows lithium ion batteries to provide longer driving ranges and better performance in EVs.
Lithium-ion batteries generally have a longer cycle life compared to lithium-iron batteries, meaning they can undergo more charge-discharge cycles before their capacity significantly decreases. Lithium-ion batteries are more commonly used in EVs due to their higher energy density and longer cycle life, as well as their relatively lower cost compared to lithium-iron batteries. It's important to note that battery technology is constantly evolving, and researchers are continuously exploring new materials and designs to improve energy storage. Lithium air batteries, for example, are being investigated as a potential breakthrough in battery technology, but further research and development are needed before they can be widely used in EVs. E-bikes commonly use lithium-ion batteries due to their high energy density, lightweight design, and long cycle life. The specific chemistry within the lithium-ion battery category can vary, but overall, lithium-ion batteries provide the necessary power and performance required for e-bike applications. For most laptops, the primary power source is also lithium-ion batteries. Lithium-ion batteries are widely used in portable electronics, including laptops, smartphones, and tablets, due to their high energy density, lightweight design, and long cycle life. They provide the necessary power and performance required for laptops while maintaining a reasonable weight. Lithium polymer batteries are a specific type of lithium ion battery. Lithium polymer batteries, that's LIPO, use a polymer electrolyte instead of a liquid electrolyte, which allows for flexible packaging and designs options. The term lithium polymer refers to the type of electrolyte used, not the specific chemistry of the battery. Lithium-ion batteries, while efficient and commonly used, do pose certain risks, and here are some potential dangers associated with them. Lithium-ion batteries can overheat, which can lead to fires or explosions. Physical damage. If a lithium-ion battery is physically damaged, the electrolyte inside can leak, posing a hazard. The likelihood of lithium-ion batteries overheating, catching on fire, and even leading to explosion increases when they are damaged or improperly used, charged, or stored. Thermal runaway. This phenomenon means lithium-ion battery fires are extremely hard to put out. It's important to handle these batteries with care to mitigate these risks. Much progress has been made in the development and manufacturing of safe lithium-ion batteries. However, not enough is yet known about the probability of lithium-ion battery failure, their mechanism of failure, and potential consequences of failure. In conclusion, while lithium-ion batteries have safety concerns, advancements in technology have improved their safety features and overall reliability. Lithium-ion batteries offer certain advantages in terms of safety, but lithium-ion batteries remain the preferred choice for many applications, including EVs, due to their higher energy density and longer cycle life. Presenting Technology Chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston. 
Marty Winston joins me now here on Computer Talk Radio. <laughs> Uninvited sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing in here? <laughs> uh, so you you always come to us with a, a number of, not always, sometimes we go off into uh, various discussions of how the industry is going and, and whatnot. But I know you're, you're talking about this week uh, some items you have for review. You even told me to get prepared for one of the uh, one oh, of them. So let's, let's, let's dive let's, in. Let's, let, let's get the straightforward out of the way. This is from VTOMAN, Vito Man. It's their yes. Jump 1800. Mm-hmm. Now, question, how much food is in your fridge? And if that refrigerator suddenly failed you, what would it cost to replace all that food? Does your basement have a sump pump? If that stopped working, what would it take to clean up the mess? Anybody mm-hmm. in the house running a CPAP machine? The most likely villain in each of these scenarios is a power outage. And short of a whole house backup generator, do you have any choices? The Vito Man Jump 1800 is an 1800 watt power station. It's not a lightweight. It's about 50 pounds. It can help the fridge keep frigid, keep a sump pump working, or let you microwave hot meals when the power's out. Now, now, when we talk about keep the fridge running, how long? Well, a fridge is 300 watts at peak. Mm-hmm. And uh, depending on a whole bunch of factors, it could be anywhere from four hours to, to six days. So I don't, I don't want, I'm not going to get pegged on that. And yeah, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah what, what's in there, how often you open it, uh, and how, the, the mass of what's in there and how well insulated the fridge is. All, sure, all yeah. of that kind yeah, of thing, yeah. yeah. Now, the, the Vito Man Jump 1800 has three pure sine wave AC outlets. It's got six USB power ports. It's even got a lighter socket, excuse me, 12-volt auto accessory plug for powering <laughs> car yes. accessories. Uh, you can recharge it from a wall plug. You can recharge it from a car. You can recharge it from solar panels if you have those. Anything between, I think, it's 10 and 30 volts. Uh, for things like uh, the compressor of a fridge or a pump motor that have hefty initial surges like Papa, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, it handles up to twice its rated uh, wattage, 3,600 uh, for that pop and 1,800 the rest of the time doesn't doesn't even phase it. Uh, so much for when the grid is off. How about when you want to go off the grid? Uh, it's also good from four below zero to 130 above. And if the standard capacity of more than 1,500 watt hours doesn't seem like enough, you can buy a companion battery-only product that doubles that. Battery, uh, the batteries in, in either one are lithium iron phosphate, so they hold the charge longer, keep working longer. They're safer than many other lithium battery recipes. It also has, in case you need it, a built-in five-mode LED work light. It's about $1,400 on Amazon. I've got one here, and I'm going to do an in-depth review coming up in the next uh, month or so. Good. Good. I hope you have power to do the review. Heavy, heavy. Lift that up and oh, man. It's a bicep workout and no extra charge. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Now, what did I get in from Klein this month? And, you know, Ben, what did you get in? Oh, Uh, yeah. I got something that looks like a screwdriver, but Klein always has all these tricks up their sleeve. It's an 11 in one impact rated screwdriver and nut driver combination that uses its Mm, handle as a sleeve to contain the upper part of a cleverly nested assortment of tips. Pull them apart, reassemble, get the one you need at the end. So you're carrying one thing instead of a whole bunch. They sent four pairs of gloves, maybe five. 
Uh, cowhide leather all-purpose gloves with knit backs for flexibility and leather-reinforced thumb and forefinger tips for a little extra protection. General-purpose synthetic suede gloves with knit backs and touchscreen-compatible fingertips. Cut-resistant knit-dipped gloves, also finger-tip uh, communication with your gear. And heavy-duty gloves with rubbery ridges up the back of the fingers and across the back of the hand, plus palm protection pads, but still touchscreen compatible fingertips uh their situational awareness bluetooth earmuffs keep you connected to your phone while protecting your hearing in loud work environments two volume controls one for your bluetooth one for how much ambient sound you want to let through so you know what's happening around you uh you do hear more of what's around you amplified and compressed and on its own volume control again separate volume control for bluetooth audio active noise canceling mics are in it uh, it's about a hundred bucks. Now, what did you get? So I got a number of different things. So they know I'm a nerd. So they sent out a, a whole, whole assortment of uh, there was a precision screwdriver set. You know the the regular long uh, long handle ones, uh, and they also sent out an all in one precision screwdriver set. So that's the one with the replaceable bits. You've got all of yeah. your Torx bits, your security Torx, and just uh, you've got bit geometries you've never seen before in that. Um. Most people haven't seen. I no, have. All right. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I have a whole drawer uh, collecting yes. those things that no one else has. <laughs> they, they also sent me out the uh, a two-in-one insulated electronics screwdriver, which is which keeps me from being shocked, which is really great. Probably the best item they sent me out there: Tradesman Pro XL Tech backpack. Wow! This, Did it have lunch already packed in there? I wish you know me, <laughs> but but this thing is this thing is great because it'll fit uh, it'll fit all but the very largest of the laptops, and at the same time all of the regular tools. So this is the next generation of the of that workman's backpack holding all of his oh, yeah. you know, hammers well, and, and it whatnot. has a separate area for the tools, right? Yeah, total separate area for the tools and and for the laptop. So you know a lot of the techs these days they're carrying around. They're carrying around tech, and they're carrying around all of their tools. It put it all in one nice spot. I, I really love this. And when you when you got the weight in there, how's it feel? Comfy, very nice. It, it's it's very very well designed. Well, that's Klein Tools for you. Yes, definitely. <laughs> that's the voice of Marty Winston. This is Benjamin Rockwell. Thank you, Benjamin, and thank you, Marty. Public Service Announcements Computer Club Meetings in the New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut Tri-State Region Log on to the club website for more information on Remote Meeting ID Brookdale Computer Users Group meets Thursday, October the 26th Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom Website is bcug.com Tech Ed Connect Thursday, November the 2nd. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Their website is wpcug.org. The Amateur Computer Group of New Jersey has a meeting on Friday, November the 3rd. Meeting time is 8 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Jitsi. Website is acgnj.org. The New York Amateur Computer Club meets Thursday, November the 9th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. 
online virtual meeting via Zoom, and the website is nyacc.org. The Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, November the 10th. Meeting time is 7 p.m., online virtual meeting via Zoom, and the website is limac.org. King's Byte Computer Club meets Tuesday, November the 14th. Meeting time is 7 p.m., and they meet at the Park Plaza Restaurant. Address is 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. For more information, phone number is 347-278-7320. Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on PRN, live streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email addressed to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell, and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy till we meet again, same time, same station, next week.